Yes, another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today I'm chatting with Kathleen, who is a fitness expert, media personality, personal trainer, writer, and the author of Finding Your Fit, as well as the latest book that just published last week, Your Fittest Future Self. She is just full of really great energy, and I'm excited to share this conversation. Enjoy. If you are enjoying these conversations, please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. The reviews, stars, they do go a long way. And lastly, this episode and the whole podcast is really brought to you by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in-app to help guide you through your mental fitness. Take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to search is K-Y-O. Thank you, as always, and have the absolute best day yet. Who are you or, you know, what, what really defines you? Um, you know, people often ask me that question, like, who am I? And I find it, it's, it's hard to answer because not only are there different sort of iterations of Kathleen, even within my day now as a 35 year old, you know, I have the, I'm the author and I also hope that I'm a really good partner to my partner, James. And I hope I'm a good daughter to my, to my mother. And I hope that I'm a good trainer to my clients. Like, so I hope that all of those are there, but there's also just so many different versions of Kathleen over the last 35 years, but I wouldn't give away any of those versions because they've all sort of come to form who I am now. You know, if you look at me before 20, I was really unfit and unhappy and unhealthy. And I just pretty much hated myself. You know, I, um, I was overweight and I hated exercising. Um, I would do anything to get out of gym class. I'd cry, I'd pretend to be sick. I'd time my walks home from school so I could get food, snacks, and eat them and then mouthwash before I got home because my mom was such a fitness person. Um, she oh, wow. bad food. Um, but also, I just had so much shame about who I was. Like, I'll never forget um, going to Subway, and I l- used to love um, the meatball sub with cheese. And I always wanted a foot long, but I knew that I should only eat a six-inch. Like, I just knew it, but, you know, hmm. so I would go, and I would make up these elaborate stories to the to the Subway dude. Um, I mean, like, he didn't care, but I yeah. was so that I cared. So I would say to him, you know, I'm buying this 12 inch sub for, you know, a friend, I'm only going to eat half of it. And like, and like, you could, I, I just remember him looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, who cares? I'm doing my job. But I was so consumed in this, in the shame of being overweight and unhealthy and unhappy. So, you know, you have that and then juxtaposition juxtaposed to who I am now, who, you know, if I decided I wanted to eat a 12 inch sub, I'd be like, damn, I'm going to enjoy that 12 inch sub because I really believe in, in loving what you're doing. So, you know, 99% of the time I eat really, really well. Um, but I believe in my love it rule, which is, you know, if you want something that you love, you have it, but you're aware enough to choose to eat the things that you love, not the things that you don't love. So, you know, Hmm. I don't think I would have a meatball sub now. Those, that wouldn't be my love it. Chocolate would be my love it. Uh, but I'd be aware enough now to say, yeah. like, okay, I don't want the Dorito chips, but I do want a beautiful piece of dark chocolate, right? So I don't know. I just, there's so, who am I? Like, 
I don't know. I'm somebody who loves to learn, um, who loves, who wants to be a really good friend, um, who cares about communicating. Um, it might be easier to say who I am based on the things that I know that make me happy. Sure. So I know that um, if I wake up and I can move in some way, go for a walk, go for a run, do some yoga, do some Pilates, um, if I can learn in some way, so listen to a really good podcast, uh, read a book, read an audio book, listen to an audio book, and um, have meaningful conversations, if I can do those three things in a day, I know I will be, you know, a happier, healthier version of Kathleen. Um, so maybe that's that's who I am. I'm the I'm the person who's happiest when I'm moving, learning, and communicating. Love it. Well, and thank you for the details. I, I appreciate that. And it is that it, it's actually an area that I wanted to talk to you about because I I can't remember. It might be in the Keo pack that you wrote this or in your book, but there was something in there about just um, I think up until you were 17, and you mentioned that you're you're numbing feelings with food. Oh, yeah. So I'm just wondering, like what out of those three elements that you mentioned that make up you as a person, was there something there that shifted at one, at one point? Like what was the, what was the shift or the transition that well, started? I you don't know. think that there's any one shift. I mean, I could tell you the story that I tell everybody, you know, which was my mom saying to me, Kathleen, we have to find a solution. You know, um, she said, mm-hmm. you don't like people, like you're not comfortable with people your own age. So we're going to get you a membership to the YMCA, uh, which mostly has sort of very young people and older people. And you're just going to go and walk on the treadmill. She's like, you don't have to go to gym class. You don't have to join a sports team, but you do have to be um, more active that some activity that has to be a non-negotiable. Um, so I started working mm-hmm. out at the Y, you know, walking on the treadmill turned into doing some weights, which turned into running on the treadmill, which turned into taking some aerobics classes, um, which turned into teaching aerobics classes. Right. So, you know, I could definitely tell you that story of that, that being told that being active was a non-negotiable has really informed my fitness philosophy. I could tell you that, um, finding solutions, not excuses is something that I tell myself and my clients every day, but really I don't, I, I don't believe that there's ever one thing. I feel like there's a huge amount yeah. of things that add up, you know, there are drops in a bucket and all of a sudden your sort of health bucket is overflowing or, you know, there's so many steps and eventually you're at the top of the mountain or what, however you want to phrase it, right? That last coin that makes you a millionaire, the last coin only matters because of the coins that came from before it. Like it's all this gradual process um and i think that it's the process that matters and i also just think that even phrasing it in the way that like you know what was that one moment makes it seem like i found found the be all and end all of health now and i think that that's would also be a shame for people listening to think that like i struggle every day it's just that i course correct faster i don't fall quite as far i know you know I really do struggle with depression. I'm sort of wild, wired to be depressed. And so I kind of know when I'm heading into that pit and m- more often than not, I can stop myself before I get there. Or if I do get there, I don't go quite as deep. Um, you know, where, so, you know, when I was 15, I might be depressed and not leave my bed for a week. And now it's like, okay, I feel like a really huge desire to stay in bed, but I'm like, no, Kathleen, get up, go for a walk. Um, Hmm. like, so I don't know. It's just, it's still such a struggle. It's still such a process. Um, 
Right. Well, you're human, right? Yeah. I think that's that's all that the this is all what makes it kind of worthwhile in the end too. Like you learn something. Um, I think maybe that's the, that's the piece that if it, you know who am I? I'm somebody who's always wanting to learn and reflect, and I think that's the key. Is that so many of us with health and wellness is you think, okay, well. I'm either successful or I'm not. And when you can frame every experience as just an opportunity to kind of learn and grow, then everything becomes slightly less scary because it's like, oh, well, you know, if I do have five cookies, it's okay. What do I learn from that? Was I, was I sad? What did I let myself get too hungry? Did I not have a good enough lunch? Like, and then you're like, okay, well, next time I won't do that versus, having the five cookies and then going down the shame spiral of, you know, I'm a terrible person. I might as well have another five cookies or some cake or not even do anything. You know, it's like you sort of decide, you know, I'll just learn from that experience and you judge things based on behaviors versus you as a person. Like I, I try not to connect my behaviors to my worth as a human being anymore. Whereas I used to, like if I would go get that foot long sub, I'd be like, Oh, Kathleen, you're just like this worthless piece of, you know, some swear word in there, um, you might as well just also mm. get to that. Right. And now I'm like, well, no, sometimes I make bad decisions, but whatever, like I'm still, I'm a good, I'm a good person and I'll learn from those experiences. Yeah. Well, so where, because even when we first met, like it, to me, at least it was, it was just so obvious that you have such a thirst for, for learning. And there was this curiosity to your character, which to me, everything you just described there kind of boils into this, this lifelong curiosity, which seemed to, you know, start in childhood. And it could, well, I think we all, we're all born curious. I mean, it's essentially how we evolve, learn to walk and talk and, and all of that. And it's, it's, it seems like you're still living that, which is, which is great because then that I think ends up fueling your toolbox, right? Like when you don't feel like getting out of bed that, that morning, you have tools and you have, mindsets or whatever things you've picked out picked up through your journey to to help you in that moment right well i'd say a couple things um first and foremost thank you for saying that i'm a curious person i have to tell that to my therapist because it's one of the things that she's really tried to help me become um okay. i've always been curious about certain things in life like my mom's an actress so i've been curious about theater and uh, not like books and literature and that kind of stuff but i don't think i would say that i was ever curious about health in the way that i am now um and then through a lot of therapy um we decided that part of my sort of quote-unquote problem my my depressive um tendency is that I kind of, I was looking at the world as my therapist would say through a keyhole and only things within that keyhole would make me happy. But it was about opening my hmm. keyhole to be a window and to be a door and to see happiness and experiences and be curious about the other things that are out there. Um, so she really helped me with that. Um, and it's a practice and it's, it's a muscle that you get stronger. Um, and one of the things that really helped with that was the Carol Dweck book mindset and, um, and having that idea from the Carol Dweck uh, book, the idea of the word yet. So it's like, well, I don't know that yet. I haven't done that yet. I'm not thinking that yet. Right. So as opposed to like, oh, I don't know that I must be a failure. It's like, oh, I just haven't thought of that yet. Um, so that curiosity comes into also 
being a little bit more self-compassionate with yourself because it's like, oh, well, you know, I can't know everything in this world. Um, and if I'm curious enough, I can learn what I want to learn. Uh, but I have to be open to those to those learnings. But I just wanted to say a little story to people listening because I love, I'm so honored that you think I'm curious because I love the first time I met you, I just decided that you were my you know, kindred spirit because I think you're so curious and interested in the world and open. And, and the email correspondence we had, I forwarded it to my web designer because um, I wanted her to post the package in, on my website. And her email back, all in bold love letters, was about how much she loved you. And she was like, he's amazing. You guys are awesome. You have to do a podcast together. And I was like, he is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I love it. That um, makes I know, my day. You know, right? Because you, one of the things I love about you and why I think you're a kindred spirit is because you are connected to the world and sort of enthusiastic about stuff. And so obviously she could tell that through your emails um, that you were enthusiastic and she knows me. So she's like, you guys are a perfect pair. So anyway, thank you for being you. Absolutely. Well, and right back at you. And I'm, I'm super grateful we're able to have this chat because it's, I mean, just like when we first met, it's, people can relate right to to these different stories and i mean the whole goal of the conversation other than us you know chatting about like-minded uh, things is just like if there's one piece of the conversation that can help someone that's listening now get through whatever they're going through then you know i feel like we've we've done we've done our job so yeah and i and i would say to people listening you know whatever you want to achieve whether it's being curious or eating better or you know smoking less or whatever it's about understanding that you know, it's not going to happen overnight, um, that habits, you know, unhealthy habits took a long time to develop, healthier habits going to take a long time to develop. Um, and it's a practice, it's about getting stronger, you know, you don't, you know, getting your bicep gets stronger through repetition, it's all about um, practice and repeating. And it's, and when I say bad habits or good habits, I don't even mean people think of habits like, you know, oh, I drank water or I went for a walk. But I think of habits also just in how you speak to yourself, right? So if you have the habit of saying to yourself, oh, you're, you're such a failure, right? Then you're going to say that more. It's that groove in the record player that gets stronger as it, you know, as the, um, as, as you keep listening to that same portion over and over again. So you have to change change the groove. You have to get out of that. And, um, you know, if you're used to telling yourself that you're worthless, it's not going to happen. That sort of self-love or the self-appreciation, the compassion, um, the more productive mindset's not going to happen, you know, overnight, everything takes that practice, that repetition. So I didn't become curious, um, from one therapy session, you know, I didn't become curious from one book I read, um, the Carol Dweck. And then that led me to, you know, Brené Brown, which, you know, then I read Gretchen Rubin, which led me to Tim Ferriss, like, and all of these people listening to over and over and over again, people who I really respect talk about being open and the struggles that they have. And that, you know, it's all about the messy middle where you sort of go through it and you struggle and you think, oh my God, I'm never going to make it through. And then you're like, oh, wait a second, I can make it through. And when you hear enough people that you really respect all say like, yeah, this isn't easy, but it's worth it. And, and, you know, it comes through the, through the struggle, then you're like, okay, well, I'm, you know, it's a day and I'm having a hard day and that's okay. I'll, I'll get through it. I'll learn from this. Yeah. Well, it's just the concept, right. Of, of, and I can relate to that even just going through, you know, launching Keo and, and, you know, the whole team's kind of going through this is just, you know, we're not alone. Right. Whereas a lot of times you feel like you are, but it's even just comforting knowing that, you know, that's not the case. Other people have gone through something like this and, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get through it no matter 
how high the highs are or how low the lows are, right? It's just, again, kind of how do you neutralize in there and get through any of those, yeah. those peaks? I think the complicated part are where people disconnect often from this idea of self-compassion or self-love or self-acceptance is that I think people have this misunderstanding of these words that it means that if you love yourself or you have compassion with yourself, you're like, oh, whatever happens, happens. Or I can, you know, I can eat cake. I love myself. Or I can skip my workout. I deserve it. Or, you know, I have self-compassion. Kathleen told me to have self-compassion, so I should stay in bed. Um, You know, it's people sort of equate these words with letting yourself off the hook. And, um, Whereas I use them in almost the opposite way. Like I hold myself to really high standards, but I still am very compassionate with myself because it's about the growth. It's about the learning. Um, and I, and I make decisions because I love myself, not because I hate myself. So, um, you know, I make myself go for a walk because I know I'm going to feel better afterwards. I make myself go for a run because I know I'm going to feel better. I make myself strength train because I know that if I want to run for the rest of my life, I need to be strong. I make myself, um, you know, do my stretching and because I need the mobility because I know that, for example, my left ankle gets really stiff. And if my left ankle gets stiff, then my right SI, like my right hip tends to get do more of the motion and then I get back pain. So I make myself do my ankle mobility stuff right in my core work. So you know, all of this stuff, these sort of terms of of compassion and love and caring and self-care can be very nebulous and and I think for a lot of people, they end up using those terms in the way that they would have used um, the other other terms, meaning I think that needs some explanation. They use it as um, sort of negative brain propaganda uh, in the same way. So if they used to say like, um, well, I have to, I don't even, you know, I'm a terrible person and therefore I have so much shame. So then I, you know, who cares? I might as well have that cookie. Then now they say, oh, well, you know, I love myself so much. I should have the cookie. So it's like, they still make the same behaviors. It's just, they sort of justify it from in different ways. Right. And yeah. so that's the key is like, you have to decide who you want to be and then you have to use these terms like fire can feed you or fire can kill you right like anything in itself is nothing unless you put it towards what you want to be and who you want to be so you can't just sort of say like oh Kathleen told me to love myself so therefore you know I'm justifying not working out for the next six months it's like no that's not what I'm saying (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. well so what though is something because something that you you've been talking about a lot I think revolves around just seeing the triggers, right? There's been a lot of mindset stuff like negative self-talk or just self-talk in general. I mean, there's been some physical elements that you're noticing for yourself that you know you need to do. But what I've been finding in this journey is that, you know, a lot of the people I've been speaking with, they have this this heightened sense of self-awareness, which allows them, and, and it's clear you have it as well, um, allows them to actually stop. And and I think you you actually talked about this at one point about the pause, but allows you to stop and actually see it, right? And and what my question, I guess, to you is, like, what are some ways to come out of that autopilot? Because I feel like a lot of us are in that, right? And it's it's not it's not always obvious on how, oh, yeah, I'm actually, you don't even realize if you're kind of sabotaging your self-talk. 
I completely, completely agree. Yeah, it's that being able to be the objective observer of your own life and your own decision making, which is when you can figure out how to do that, so key. You know, the phrase with awareness brings choice. Like if you're not aware of how you're thinking um, or how you're acting and your behaviors, it's very hard to change those behaviors and those thoughts. So, um, you know, you could do something just as simple as a journal. Um, you could journal for a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of days, you could journal your food, a couple of days, you could journal your exercise. And then you could also journal what you're grateful for, who you interact with, um, your thought patterns. So one of the things my therapist got me to do years ago that I found really, really helpful was on a scale of one to 10, tell before a workout, say what my mood is. So let's say I'm like a two out of 10. And then after a workout, say what my mood is. And it's always more, you know, it's always, if it starts mm-hmm. at a two, it's or to four or five. Um, and she got me to do that to journal so I can, then I can use that data. So if I am in a really low mood, I now say to myself, Kathleen, the worse your mood, the more important your workout, because I have this two week journal that I took where I literally saw that every single workout made me into like a happier, healthier version of Kathleen. Now I'm not arguing that every workout turned me from a two to a 10. Sometimes it just went from like a two to like a 2.3, but often that 0.3 was enough to actually get me to go through my day. So instead of being so depressed that I stayed in bed all day, it got me up, got me moving. And then that allowed me to go to work. And then as soon as I went into work, you know, I love my work. So seeing a client that would make me feel a little bit better. And then I'd see my next client and that would make me feel a little better. So sometimes it's just, you know, you have to become aware enough to know what that first domino is. That's going to give you that positive upward spiral. Um, so you could journal about that. I often, um, will use a journaling when I feel, I don't even know how to, when I feel it in my body, meaning, um, for the longest time I, I, I was trying to work from my head down Um, And I've actually found over the last couple of years that I can feel what I'm triggered with something. Like if something makes me um, like my partner, his name is James. Like if he does something and I feel almost my entire body tense um, in this sort of like negative irritated way, I'm like, interesting, Kathleen, this is not really something that he's done. This has triggered a feeling from childhood. Um, And so now when that happens, Um, I use a method from uh, Terry Real. What he says is just park the emotion, which is normally I go to irritation first. And he says, you know, that emotion will always be there. You can go back to it if you want to, but park it and go to a different emotion, generosity, curiosity, uh, whatever that is. Um, and see where that leads. So if I feel that like physical discomfort, then I will, you know, I'll be like, okay, Kathleen, take a pause. The pause is really important. Like, cause then the, that gives mm-hmm. you a moment. And then as opposed to saying to James in an irritated voice, like, well, what do you mean by that? Or like really, or snapping or something. I just sort of will try to say in a very generous tone, you know, you know, can you tell me more? Or, you know, it sounds like you might have had a really bad day. Can you tell me about your day? Or like anything that takes me out of the irritation with the knowledge that I can always go back there. So I'm trying to listen, I guess, I'm trying to listen more to my body, because I feel like a lot of my triggers are in my body. Uh, But that's sort of over the last couple years, I think prior to that, I, um, I, I, I tried to listen to the idea of like, whenever I wanted to mindlessly eat, like if I just wanted to sit and turn everything off and watch TV and just like sort of stuff my face, that would be an inclination to be like, okay, what else is going on? 
um, or if I found myself standing at the kitchen table or not the t- um, at, like at the sink, just sort of like randomly stuffing food in my face, I'd be like, okay, interesting. This is data. I'd like, so what's going on? I think really what therapy has done to me is allow me to look at everything, like every experience as data. So it's like, oh, interesting. I'm standing here stuffing my face what could possibly be like, I obviously am not hungry. Like this is not, am I, so am I thirsty? Am I sad? Am I tired? Like what is going on? Kathleen? Like this is not, this is odd. Yeah. I find it's interesting. You mentioned that because even, even myself over the last probably 12 months, I've even my own journaling and some of the other practices that I have in my life, I've noticed the same kind of physical feeling where uh, it, it, it I, I agree with you. It's hard to explain. It's like, I just need to write to release and that's all I need. It could be even five minutes, but I never had that before. And, and the only thing, and it, it sounds similar to you. The only thing I can chalk it up to is just having multiple type of reflective practices or mental fitness practices, including exercise or physical. And just, you know, it's, they, they just keep building off each other and, and, but it's all centered around the self-awareness, I think. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's about trying things on for size. I think like, yes, it's about having multiple ways of doing it and different tools in your toolbox. So some days for me, I know, you know, I can just go for a walk and that'll be enough of time to just give me some pause. Some days I need to journal. Some days I need more of like a physical, really intense run. So yes, it's about having multiple um, facets, but I also think it's just about, um, being willing to try different things on for size. Like um, I Mm. think some people go back to sort of being curious, but I do think that a lot of people fall into this. Well, I'm not the type of person who does X, you know, and it can be as simple as I'll say to a client, like, you know what, maybe consider having more protein at breakfast. Well, I'm not the type of person who has protein. I like my cereal. I'm like, okay, well, but like do it once. And if you don't like it, you don't have to like, it doesn't just because you try something once doesn't mean you have to stick to it. So it could be as something as something like that, or something like, you know, say to somebody, you know, maybe try like a dance class. Oh, I don't dance, you know? And so it's like, well, try it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. And you know, we get into this idea of like, if you try something and then it doesn't work, then you're a failure. Or if you try it, then you have to keep going. So with fitness and nutrition and mindset, like just try something like try meditation. If it doesn't work, stop, try therapy. If it doesn't work, stop, try journaling. If it right. Like, um, and recently actually I wrote a, a Huffington post blog all about sort of my experience trying yoga because this is a great example. It's like for years, I would say I'm not the type of person who does yoga. And um, I actually even did um, TV segments of like, yoga is not my jam. What do you do if you don't like yoga? Like how are the, what are the stretches you can do? Like that literally was part of my like brain. <laughs> and then about six months ago, I was just like, okay, Kathleen, why aren't you the type of person who does yoga? Like what, why, where's that coming from? Are you afraid to take a break? Are you afraid that it's not like intense enough for you? Are you just afraid that you're not very good at it? And I was like, why don't you just try it? So I dedicated myself to a 21 day yoga practice. And what's fascinating is like, I grew, I don't know if I grew to love it, um, but I found a way that works for me. Like I found a couple sort of five to 20 minute yoga um, series that I can do online um, after a run. And it actually makes me feel really, really good. So now I have a promise to myself that every time I run, I have to do a minimum of five minutes of yoga. And then I finish off with a short meditation. And sometimes the yoga is 20 minutes and sometimes it's half an hour. Um, and sometimes the meditation is 20 minutes, but sometimes the yoga is five minutes and the meditation is two minutes and, and that's enough. Um, but yeah. I needed to try it. And, and 
I don't know. It's just like an interesting thing. Like so much of life is being willing to evolve. Like I was a vegetarian for 18 years of my life. And the reason why I stopped being a vegetarian is because enough people asked me why I was, and I didn't really know. And I, my answer always just was like, well, cause I kind of always have been one. And then I was like, well, but if you made the choice to be a vegetarian when you were like 12, don't you think that the 30 year old Kathleen should have the opportunity to make the choice again? Hmm. Um, so that's like, you know what, I'm just going to eat meat for six months and I'll see if I like it. And if I don't, I can go back to being a vegetarian. So, you know, so like, anyway, just, I guess it just goes back to being curious and with everything from how you think about things to how you move, you know, being willing to sort of try things and let it go if it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, just, you know, I think it's just being open and almost refresh because the other thing I notice with with a lot of these different practices people come in with and and myself included come in with these kind of preconceived notions of of what they are right and something I I I saw in your work too and the way I like like I like how you reframe things around a health plan yeah. like immediately that to me like even just hearing the two words like that changes things it's not like this forced thing at the gym or like I have to meditate. It's like what it, so I'd love for you to talk about just the health plan and like what that means to you and for everyone listening, um, how they can get started. Yeah. So my first book was called uh, finding your fit. And the second one is your fittest future self. And they both really revolve about around figuring out what works for you and staying in your own health lane. And it doesn't matter, you know, it works for your brother or your sister or your favorite celebrity. You know, it only works, matters what works for you. You know, my dad loves to play hockey. My mom loves to garden. She loves to walk. She loves to walk her dog. She loves yoga. That's great. I'm not into hockey. That's okay too. Uh, And I think for the longest time, I sort of, you know, when, when I was uh, younger, like my teenage years, part of why I wasn't fit was I was trying to be fit in the way that like my school friends were fit. Like I had this idea of who this fit person was and I had to be that person. And then I, I only really was able to stick with health as a lifelong thing when I realized that the only thing that matters is the fit that works for me. Um, Hmm. And that being active can be in be empowering and be energizing. And so I think part of my biggest sort of beef with the fitness industry is that it's based around these programs that you're supposed to follow for, you know, two weeks, four weeks, six months, whatever. Um, It's based around the knowledge and that's all well and good, but, but knowledge is such a small piece of the puzzle because if you can't make yourself do something, um, then the knowledge is moved. Like it doesn't matter the best yeah, running plan. Just mol- it's just knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's just knowledge. So you have to be able to connect the dots between wanting and doing, and that's where the mindset piece, that motivation, the inner dialogue happens. Um, but you also have to be able to figure out what you can do for the rest of your life because, you know, sure, you you can sort of make yourself do something you hate for a month, maybe, two weeks, probably, a week, you know, but like for long term, if you hate it, you're not going to do it consistently. And the workout that you do, you know, once a year really doesn't matter. It's what you do on a daily basis that matters. And that's why finding your unique sort of recipe for success is, is what matters ultimately, right? Because I want people to be 
consistent. And so they need to find something that's convenient. They need to find something that aligns with their values. They need to find something that aligns with their budget, um, with their goals of being fit, right? So, you know, if they're a power lifter, that's going to be very different than if they're a gymnast. That's very different than if they're a mother of five kids who's just trying to juggle things um, and fit things into her life, you know? So the first book is, is based around finding your fit based on your fitness personality. So are you a home bunny? Do you have to work out at home? Are you a gym bunny? Are you a busy multitasker? So you sort of work out in, in your day. Are you a competitive bunny? Do you, you know, do you join a sports team? Do you do CrossFit? Um, and then the second book takes it one step farther and it's like, okay, it's great that you know your fitness personality, but you have to be able to understand kind of the pros and cons of all the different workouts and all the different diets and all the or ways of eating. I don't even want to call it a diet and all the different mindset strategies and then pick the pros that work for you and create your workout mix, your nutrition mix and um, your mindset mix. So um, I always, I credit actually my best friend, Emily, I've been friends with her since high school and we were sitting having pedicures and she was asking, she always asks me like, Oh, you know, should I do this diet or should I do this workout? And, you know, I always give the annoying answer that, you know, well, you should sort of take this bit of this workout and this bit of this nutrition and this bit of that. And, you know, this will be good for you. And this is a pro and this is a con. And I'm always a little bit, um, I'm, you know, not quite to the point. And, and she sort of looked at me and she's like, that's your next book. And I was like, what? She's like, your next book is that you have to curate your own health, that you have to create your own recipe for success, that it doesn't matter what works, you know, for anybody else. And there's no one perfect diet. It's about taking the pros of, you know, all the different workouts and all the different nutrition programs and, and creating one that works for you. So that's sort of how it came about. And I, um, and it's so true. And knowing that, you know, what works for you today going to be different than what works for you next month and or next year you know if you have to be a home bunny because you're really busy right now at work for the next month um but then work gets less busy so you can go to the gym that's great all that matters is that being active in some capacity is a non-negotiable and then you figure out how to do it from there i love it i mean i, I love the evolution piece of it and, and that's something that you know, a, a large reason why, why Keo actually started. It's just, you know, our life evolves and so do the questions and so does really anything related to, to your health. And so, you know, stop trying to just be so consistent with the exact same thing all the time when, you, when you're at a different place in your life, right? So... Totally. And also being... Under, so, I often look at it like a, a school analogy. I think that people... Um, you know, if you are in grade one of your fitness journey, don't compare yourself in, to somebody in grade 10 or grade 12, right? Like being really great at grade one math, if you're in grade one, that's a huge success. And then once you get good at the grade one math, then you move to grade two and grade three and grade four. And so I think that, again, it goes back to this idea of like the misunderstanding of compassion and the misunderstanding of um, being sort of pr productively hard on yourself. Um, I believe in holding yourself accountable, but I believe in sort of understanding where you are in your journey and not comparing me to a grade, like if I'm in grade one of something, not comparing myself to university math, right? Because that's where the problem occurs. But also knowing that once I've mastered grade one, um, that if my goal is to master grade six math, then I better get going in grade two math, right? So, you know, if I've never run before, being a good runner might be going for a minute run and then walking for five minutes. That's great. That's something to be unbelievably proud of. That's your grade one running, right? And then if your goal is 
you know, to get to grade 10 running, then you have a bunch of grades to go. So judging yourself from where you are in the moment and staying in your own lane, but really trying to thrive in your own lane. So not sort of, um, Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. So not judging somebody else who might be in grade 10 math versus your grade one math. It's not that they're successful and you're not, it's just that they're in a different part of their journey. So it is that evolution. Yeah. Totally perspective. Right. No, I love that. I I definitely want to, I mean, we've been talking about mental fitness pretty much the, uh, the whole time, but I, I, I like to ask guests just like what, you know, when I say the word mental fitness, like, what does that mean to you? I think it just means consistency and it means learning and it means growth. And it means like, I think that you can't have physical and nutritional fitness without the mental piece. It's so, 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 so important because again, like you, if you're not mentally fit, you might be able to make yourself work out for a day, but you're definitely not going to be able to make yourself do it consistently. And you're not going to be able to make yourself do it from a place of love. Like I don't go for a run because I have to, I don't go for a run because I hate myself. I don't beat myself up. I go for a run because I know it's going to make myself feel better. It's going to put me in a better mood. And I know that from years of sort of awareness and growth. Uh, but it really is what allows me to connect the dots between this sort of wish and this want and the actual doing. And I think that it's about the, the growth. It's about the evolution. It's about the consistent practice. Um, and both the physical part of it and the mental part of it is about the idea that the journey, it, it, the goal is not perfection. The goal is being like, oh, interesting. I slipped. I deviated. Okay, so I got to pull myself back to center, right? It's sort of like meditation. Meditation is not about silencing the mind. Meditation is about understanding when you deviate, when you do start to think, and bringing yourself back to that center. Yeah. Uh, and I think that so many people will be more uh, successful on their actual fitness journey if what they can say is, uh, this is is, is about the self-talk. It's about the mental journey. And, and they can say, okay, as opposed to looking at the past 30 years of my life and all the times I've fallen off my horse as reasons to beat myself up and be discouraged and reasons not to start. If you can say, okay, interesting. What have I learned from those last 30 years? Okay. Well, the times I've been the most successful is when I've had a fitness buddy, when I've, um, you know, gone up when I've worked out in the morning. So then I don't have any excuses when I like, and all of those things, then you can be like, okay, I'm going to do the things that have put me in the, in a good space. And then I'm going to let go of the things that have not been helpful. You know, it wasn't helpful when I tried to work out after work or, and you know, people listening might say, well, that that's all goes back to the behavior. And I'm like, no, that is about the mental fitness because that's about knowing that all behaviors stem from a certain mental outlook and you have to have the perspective and you have to have that objective look at your life. And that objectivity comes from being mentally, you know, fit and, and being strong and, and knowing that just like you don't get stronger at running hills without actually running hills, you don't get stronger at mental fitness without actually having some hills in your mental fitness, right? Like, so when you fall, when you do deviate, that's use those as opportunities, as opposed to opportunities to beat yourself up and have belittling self-talk, use those as opportunities to figure out how to have productive self-talk, right? It's all, as my therapist always says, it's just data. It's just data to learn from. Um, And as long as you learn, as long as you're working, as long as you're getting back on your both physical and mental sort of health horse, and you're getting back on as a more informed rider, then you're winning. Like that is, you know, the end goal is just to, to work and to win and keep going. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, it, it reminds me or makes me think of just, because there's so many parallels to physical fitness in, in, in my mind, and but people seem to understand physical fitness a little bit more. But all of this, in, in my opinion, is just, just really consistent training so that because we know we're gonna we we know we're gonna land in in a high stress situation or something's gonna rock us, and you know that's when the training comes in, right? So you can kind of handle that and and get through that. But it it, it only happens just like if you're running the marathon. I mean, it's not the day before uh, where you start the training, right? Well, I think that reminds me of something that Tim Ferriss always says. He talks about setting up systems in advance to to save yourself from your future lesser self. So it's like Hmm. you have to know that you are going to fall off the horse. You have to know you're going to have bad days. I know that I'm going to have days in the future where I feel depressed. Like that's just who I am. Um, But the stronger I am now, the more resilience I have now, the more learning I do now, the better able I'm going to handle those future um, situations. So, you know, my future lesser self when it comes to eating means that I don't have chocolate in the house because I have chocolate in the house at 11 o'clock at night, I'm going to eat it, right? If I know that tomorrow morning, I'm worried that I'm not going to work out. Okay. So I set myself up with, by like sleeping in my exercise clothes. That's going to help. That's a system that's going to help me for my future lesser self. Um, right. But that could go with, with therapy. Like if I know I'm going to go, uh, with, for my mental fitness, I know, you know, next month is going to be hard because of something family related. Maybe I'll set up an extra therapy session. Um, or maybe I, maybe it's as simple as I, I, I plan for an extra walk where I talk with a friend. Right. But it's, it's sort of knowing, again, it goes back to what you said earlier, like knowing your triggers, knowing the reasons why you might fall off your, your horse, both nutrition wise, fitness wise, and mindset wise, and then setting up those systems in advance for that future stressful situation. Um, and building in periods of, of recovery and rest. Like I think you said mental fitness similarly to made the analogy of that connected to the physical fitness. And I think that, you know, a lot of us understand the importance of rest when it comes to physical fitness. Like we understand that if you run a marathon the next day, you should take the day off. Or if you're trying to gain muscle, then, you know, take 48 hours off in between muscle groups when you're strength training at the gym. Um, but I think that not everybody understands that with, you know, mental fitness and, and work, like so much of being mentally healthy is building in recovery, building in rest, like meditation, sleeping, um, having periods where you, you shut your brain off to all the, the stressors. So going for walks, playing, like having joy. Um, you know, it's Brené Brown always talks about that. Um, something like the, the opposite of, um, depression is, not happy it's joy or something it's but basically the idea is that you have to build mm-hmm. time for play and joy in your in your life right but that that's so key and i think a lot of us don't do that so yeah just like with fitness where you yeah. have to build in time to eat well and drink water and do all the things that allow you to get stronger outside of the gym i think when we have busy lives and busy work schedules and we get caught up in all the like must do's and the emails and all that stuff um and then you can get caught up in that mental fitness is all about you know, doing the journaling and doing all that. And that's good, but it's also about, you know, have fun, play a game, you know, put on some music, yeah, dance around. Space. like create space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. It's, um, I, I mean, I'm seeing it. I mean, maybe I'm a bit jaded just cause you know, we're so into this, this space, but it, it feels like this is starting to shift from a society perspective of, you know, getting away from just like being 
ultra productive all the time and realizing obviously multitasking is, is, is not a badge of honor anymore. And if you can single task, it's actually, um, you know, be more recognized uh, at this point. So it feels like things are, are starting to shift, which is, which is encouraging. I hope so. I mean, again, I think you and I might be a little bit biased because it's the world we live in. I I know that for me, it's something I find very hard. Like I know that Brené Brown, she always talks about um, not put hanging your hat on the badge of honor of busy, like the busy is, is not Mm -hmm. the gold star. Um, And I find that really hard. Like when somebody says, how are you? My go-to answer is always, I want to be like, oh, I'm so busy. And it's like, no, Kathleen, you're so busy. Like that's actually not a good thing. That means you're not... Um, prioritizing time appropriately and you're not creating balance in your life. And, and I don't know, I, I, I feel like I'm sort of, this is a push pull in my life that I'm working really hard on that there's something in me that feels the need to sort of always be, be productive and busy and working. And I don't know exactly who I'm trying to prove anything to. Um, so I know, but then the other, the flip pole is that I know I'm a way happier person when I build in time to sit and play cards with James and to go for a walk and, and to do things like, you know, last weekend we went to the aquarium and, and, um, and that I know it makes me a happier, more well-balanced person. So I don't know. Anyway, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it, it is spreading at least in our world. Um, but I know, and to be brutally honest, like it's the thing that I'm working really hard on right now. And I'm not sure if it's a, a war that I'm quite winning at the moment. I still really feel um, this weird need to always be productive and, and I want to play more. I want to, you know, laugh more. Yeah. And, and just for the, for the record, I mean, that I'm, I'm working on that as well. I mean, even, even just, you know, commuting from a meeting and not jamming a podcast in my ear is, is something, you know, being trying to be very conscious of, like, it's okay to actually just look out the window of the streetcar. Right. But to, to your point, and I think this is just because we're so surrounded by it in, in society, it's just, we're, and I do think it's shifting, but it, it's, it's not the norm obviously at this point. So we still feel like, uh, you know, I could be learning at this point or, you know, it's funny. I look back at this vacation I was on a year and a half ago in Calgary. So I go my friend, Emily, the one I was telling you about earlier, um, when we graduated from high school, we decided we'd go on one vacation a year to stay connected. So we went last year, we, uh, we went to Banff and then I did some media in Calgary and she took this photo of me. We were on a bus ride, um, going for, I think we were on our way to Lake Louise from Banff. And it's beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous, right? Like, and there's bears and there's nature, like it's gorgeous. And I brought my laptop and I'm sitting in the bus and I'm, I had a column due um, and I'm working on the column and Emily took this photo and I, and I, we posted it on social media with like the idea that behind me, there was this bear running like beside the bus that I wasn't looking at because I was like on my laptop. And this was about a year ago. And I was really proud of that photo at the time. I was like, that's amazing. Look at me. I'm multitasking. I'm, I'm able to see the BAMP scenery and also do work. And the current version of Kathleen looks at that photo being like, Kathleen, what are you thinking? Like, when are you ever going to go back to BAM? Probably not for at least another 10 years. It's like so, so unique. You will never get that moment with like your best friend back. And so she like sat on the bus and watched you work. Like, what are you, what's wrong with you? Right. But at the time I had such pride that I was like so dedicated to be working. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know exactly. I, I don't know where the, the this road is leading me, but hopefully if we ever do another podcast, I'll be able to say to you, you know, I took a day and I went for a walk and I didn't listen to a podcast and I enjoyed the scenery and I had lots of joy and I didn't feel guilty about it. And oh, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, the thing I really like is because this is relatable. I mean, you're, you're first of all being very honest with yourself. And I think that's, you know, let's, let's just speak the truth, right? You're on the journey. You've evolved like quite a bit, obviously from, you know, from the pre 17 year old, um, there's, it seems like there's, there's so much kind of greatness that has come through, through your life and all this self, um, awareness and the different practices, but just like everyone else, you're still working on things, right? And so am I, and, and most people listening. So, um, I want to be conscious of your time. So I definitely want to get the three prompts so that I can leave um, everyone listening with for their own reflection on the podcast. And just so everyone knows, uh, as soon as this is out, um, Kathleen actually has a pack in the, uh, in Kio as we speak called curiosity driven growth. So there's, there's 10 prompts in there uh, as well, but if there's something and, and you can repeat, it's, it's totally fine, but whatever is kind of circulated in your life right now, um, Kathleen, that, you would love to leave with us just shoot those uh, out in the world right now yeah i mean i think the big one is was i curious today have i been curious um if i look back at my day and i wasn't curious those are normally the moments where that i really regret um especially with with like with my partner james you know i think it's really easy we get into our own little world and at least for me, you know, if he doesn't say the right thing or ask me the right question or whatever, it's easy to be like, well, he doesn't care. He doesn't I don't, I, like to get that yeah. feeling. Um, and the more curious I can be about like his life, um, the more often it, it builds such a much more wonderful relationship. Because if, if he didn't ask me the exact question, first of all, he's not in my brain. So how could he possibly know what question to ask me? Um, but normally there's something, you know, he's an amazing, amazing human being. So normally he, and he knows me very well. So he normally knows what questions to ask. And if he didn't ask it, normally it's because he's had a really shitty day or something's happened to him. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to just be curious about his life and to always have the most generous interpretation possible of the people that you love. I think that's also a really key thing because I, I've come to this revelation that we often um, want people to judge us on our best self and ignore when we're sort of our worst self, but then we often judge others on their, their worst moments, you know, like in a relationship is, you know, a partner will do like nine things well, and one time will do the wrong thing. And then that's the thing you judge them on versus being yeah. the nine things they did. Right. Um, or with a friend or with a parent or whatever. And, and I really, really hope that the people in my life can have a generous interpretation of what I do. Cause often, you know, I'll use a tone of voice or whatever. And it's not because it can be misinterpreted as something. And it really is just like me being tired or me being me worried that I've made a mistake or whatever. So, um, I'm, I try with people that, especially people who I really respect and really care about, like my mom and James and like my clients to just really understand that they're doing the best they can and to have a generous interpretation and ask and be curious. And because they can, you know, as I said, the irritation will always be there or anger will always be there. So, um, if they actually were an asshole, then I could be irritated or angry after, but yeah. nine 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 percent of the time, you know, they were just tired or whatever. So 
I think curious and generous, I think are two really key um, and key things and judging people not on when they're triggered. Cause I think that's the other thing is, you know, I don't know about you um, or the people listening, but like when I'm triggered, I overreact to things. I disproportionately react something that should be like a one out of 10. I react like a 10 out of 10, but it's because I'm triggered. And then once I'm no longer triggered, I want the person to forget about it. Right. Um, and, but it's easy to think that they should forget that, but then you, it's harder for you to forget that, forgive them from the things they've done when they've triggered, they've been triggered. So judgment's a tricky one. That's a tough one. I mean, I've done some exercises with that, just, you know, even just on a daily basis saying, okay, you know what? I am consciously not going to hold judgments today. And you really start picking things up like the dumbest things, right? That you're judging, you're looking at someone, you're forming opinions and like, this is crazy. And as I said, like the judge, you can go back to judgment if you really, like, I'm not arguing that somebody like punches you in the face and you think, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. You, you can, it's not that you can't get angry at people or you can't be upset or you can't say like you did this and that wasn't fair, but it's just don't go there first. Like that'll always be there. And then, and, you know, sort of try to be open. So that would be the first thing. Um, and then the second question that I try to keep at the, the front of my brain is just, did I do thing? Did I do the things today that I know make me the happier, healthier, productive version of Kathleen? And when I say productive, I don't mean like worky productive. I mean like productive towards the type of Kathleen I want to be. So productive could literally be meditating. It could be going for a walk and not listening to a podcast. I, I think it's David Allen and he talks about productivity being as long as you're creating the goal um, and the goal could be doing nothing. Like it's just doing, setting out to do something and actually doing it. So, um, and I think that that's a really key thing because a lot of us know what will make us happier. Not, not everybody. Sometimes the, the journey is to figure out what will actually make you healthier and happier. But most of us know that, you know, if you get enough sleep, you drink water, you eat well, that'll make your future self sort of happier. But in the moment, Mm -hmm. it's easier to be like, no, nah, who cares? I'll, I'll, you know, so I try to really say to myself, like, you know, have I done the things that will make me the Kathleen that I want to be? Because ultimately, the only moment we have control over is the moment that we're in. And it's very easy to say, like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll be that tomorrow. I'll think about that tomorrow. Um, but you won't be tomorrow the person you want to be if you don't act today the way that you want to be, right? So that's I a great prompt. Yeah. And I know that going for a walk will make me a better person. I know that being generous will make me a happier person. I know that smiling, I know that saying to somebody something positive to about them will make me feel better. You know, like if somebody has a beautiful, bright pink jacket on, um, even if I don't know them on the street, I will go over to them and I will say, your jacket is awesome. I love bright pinks. That's why I, I use that color. Um, because I know that that'll make them feel better, but honestly, it'll make me feel better because that interaction, that smile, like those things make a really big difference to me anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, so I ask myself that every night. And then if there are things that I did that, um, made me a less than happy person, then I'm like, okay, so what can I learn from that? Why did I do that? I know, um, I struggle with a tone of voice with my mom sometimes, you know, and I hate when I do that to her because she is the most amazing person in the entire world, but she also loves me unconditionally. So sometimes if I'm tired or annoyed at somebody else, you know, I'll use a tone of voice with her. So that makes me an unhappy person, an unhappy Kathleen. So I try to reflect on that and 
try to be more present. Next time, do better. <laughs> I don't know if she would think that I'd do better, but I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, we'll forward this off to her. <laughs> no, these are these are great. Yeah, and then lastly, I think because I think you said you wanted three questions. I think the third one is I just asked myself, like, did I give in or use or um, justify behavior with negative brain propaganda. You know, that idea of, did I use, like you can, you can convince yourself in life to do anything, right? Like you can say, Oh, I deserve to watch 10 hours of Netflix and eat this big bowl of burrito Doritos or whatever. Um, yeah. You can, you can convince yourself that anything's a good idea. Um, but is it really a good idea? Right. And, and most of us know when it's, you know, bullshit in our own brain, but sometimes, you know, we give into it and, you know, every once in a while that's okay too. But I like to ask myself, like, did I do that? And if I did, how do I learn from that experience? And why did I, right? Like I, did I give it to the negative brain propaganda because, you know, I was feeling sad or depressed or angry, or I didn't get enough sleep or I had a fight with James or whatever. So I think those are three questions. Those are great. I mean, that last one reminds me of, of a prompt that I was left with from, from another guest as well, that it's just, you know, what am I pretending not to know? Oh, I your, love right? that. Yes. But to your point, right? Because we, we typically know and, and we're to, to your prompts, uh, you know, the rationale is just, are we justifying? It's like something to us, right? I, I love that. It's a great, great question. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen. I mean, the, the, the la- I only have one final question and it's really... Okay. You know, as we speak today, um, you know, what, what makes you smile each day? Oh, what makes me smile? Well, this kind of, these type of conversations, honestly, I'm not sure if there's really anything like learning really makes me smile. Like listening to an awesome podcast, listening to a smart person, talking to a smart person. Those make me, that makes me really smile professionally. Having somebody email me and say, um, Oh, okay. I'll give you one that made me, made my day the other day. One of my clients emailed me and he said, it's my birthday. So I, um, I gave myself a birthday workout and if you, knew, you would know that five years ago when I first met him, there's no way he would have said, Kathleen, it's my birthday. So therefore I didn't need to work out. Right. And yeah. that's his mindset of like, I deserve to move my body. So those type of emails from clients or readers who've read my book and been motivated to make a positive change, that makes a huge difference. And when I can go to bed and sort of be proud of who I was and how I interacted with the world, that, that makes me smile and good music, dancing, Christmas slippers. I love Christmas and I love slippers. I have Christmas these slippers. I love it. Um, yeah. And a good, good cup of coffee in the morning makes him smile too. Amazing. Well, I have a huge smile on my face right now, just, just from this conversation. So thank you so much for your time. We will link, um, to all the social profiles along with the, the new book that as people are listening right now will be out. So I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes for all of that. And thank you again for all the insights and everything you do each day. Oh, my pleasure. And you're awesome. So thank you for being my kindred spirit. 